0: Pray together. Father, we do want to know you at a a deeper level. We want to know you and the power of your resurrection as the Apostle Paul prayed. We want to know that the Spirit of God rules and reigns in our lives. And we, we want the Word of God to be our guide. And we want to have humble hearts, quiet hearts, and clear minds that we would walk in obedience to your Word. Would you speak to us now, Lord, as you do so often at this hour of the week? First day of a new week, early in the new day. Before we do anything else this week, we just want to sit with our Bibles open, together with brothers and sisters in Christ, your church, and take your word and let it speak to us, to strengthen us, and to guide us in our walk this week. We commit ourselves to the hearing and the doing of the word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to introduce you to two new friends today. Um, I guess, parenthetically, they might not be new friends, they might be old friends. At the risk of being corny, but in an attempt to be practical... I want to introduce these two new friends and then I'd like them to walk with us through our message today. Our first friend today is Anxious Andy. Anxious Andy. Uh, I'm going to refer in the masculine to Anxious Andy. I was thinking that it could be Worrywart Wilma if you prefer a female gender there. Uh, we're not partial here um, in that sense. But for the sake of our message today, we're going to have anxious Andy. You know anxious Andy, don't you? You know Worrywart Wilma. Um, it's not that the sky is always falling. It, in fact, it could be from a couple different angles that they they have the cares of this world pressing in on them. It could be that they've just overloaded themselves. And Andy is anxious because he's working too many hours. He's overextended his credit line. He's got another scratch on the side of another vehicle that's pulling a boat that he really wants to get up to the lake. But the kids' soccer games are ruining the schedule and now he and his wife are at each other about that, and you know, you can make up your own scenarios. Um, Maybe you know Anxious Andy quite well. It's also possible that Anxious Andy or Worry Wart Wilma, it occurs to me that personalities enter in here. Now, when we talk about anxiety and worry, and you can be turning to Matthew chapter 6, That some personalities are kind of carefree and laid back and easygoing. At least they want us to believe that. Other people are more maybe detail-oriented. They're maybe uh, just a very sensitive kind of person. And for some reason, they just can't find the off switch in their brain. And every little thing is overwhelming them. And, And then there's a new pain in their leg. And it's possible that it's bone cancer. And their kids are in kindergarten today and they just need to go check on them because they're really worried that somebody's going to get them there. I mean, bone cancer and children being damaged at school, these are all very real things and it's hard not to worry. Some people are just set up to be more anxious than others. You can continue to complete the profile Anxious Andy. And then there's Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie. You kind of wonder about Steady Eddie. Um, His counterpart I've called Calm Connie. Um, You can make up your own name. I just didn't want the ladies to be writing me notes about how masculinely oriented our church is. Indeed it is. And aren't you glad you have a church that's filled with men? Steady Eddie, you know, he has a quietness about him. It's not that he's boring. It's not that he doesn't like to laugh and have fun. In fact, Steady Eddie, he has admirable qualities. He um, seems to know how to prioritize his life. And Steady Eddie, you notice this about Steady Eddie. There was a day last week when the guys were all excited and, and they were going to get together on Friday and go to Applebee's for lunch and Steady Eddie said, no, he's not going today. He just had a bag lunch and he made himself a peanut butter jelly sandwich and he was just going to sit in his cube and eat a sandwich. And the guys made fun of him and it didn't rock his boat at all. He's like, he didn't need to go out with the guys. He didn't need to put another lunch on the credit card because everybody else was. And in fact, it was at the end of the month and Steady Eddie just he ate his peanut butter sandwich and before he ate his peanut butter sandwich, Steady Eddie bowed his head and he said, Lord, thanks for my good lunch today. And he thought about the bread laid out on the counter that morning as his wife had made sandwiches for the kids as they went off to school and they had run out of the sliced ham and cheese and so he had said, Oh, don't worry, honey, just give me peanut butter and jelly. It's not a problem. You know this guy. What is it about him? His boat just doesn't rock like everybody else's boat. And calm Connie. You can call her in the middle of your meltdown. And calm Connie just seems to know what to say to you. And she always just like has this verse. And sometimes you think that Steady Eddie and calm Connie are perfect people, but you actually had supper on their deck one night and you heard them spat when they went in the kitchen. And you thought, you know what, they are really real. And the garage door was open a little bit and it was messy. And you thought, they're really not perfect people. They just look at the world a little bit differently. Well, today, as we try to be practical and not corny, I hope, um... I want us to deal once again, as we did last week, with this incredible passage in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount with our Lord, an encounter with Jesus as He teaches us not to worry. Now granted, in this passage, as we reread it, you'll notice that He is talking about the staples of life. You'll recognize in here that, that we're to look to God's sovereignty for, the, for our care and our well-being, and that that are that he will meet our needs, and, and did you do any bird watching by the way? Um, I understand that there 's some kind of like backyard bird watching thing that 's supposed to happen this week, and you 're supposed to count the birds in your backyard and then email it in and stuff. You can google that like Google backyard bird watching or something, and hopefully you 'll come up with a, a real site but um, um, how many of you actually took at least 10 seconds to watch a bird this week and try to think, Lord, what is it you want me to learn from the birds today? Can you raise your hand? At least three of you did it. Well, more than that. That was good. That's not bad if half of my class does their homework. That's pretty good. Um, Consider the birds, Jesus says. Let's read it. It's Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, can't you see Jesus kind of picking up his volume a little bit? Maybe point, and which of you, which of you, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing of all things? You know, parentheses. It is likely that most of the audience to whom Jesus was speaking were common folks. You'll notice in the life and ministry of our Lord that he often paid attention. To weak people, to broken people, and to common people. He often poked his eye in proud people's eyes. Poked his finger in the eye. I didn't say that right, did I? He poked his eye. in. <laughs> um, it's possible that many of these folks in his audience really did struggle and scratch to find food. And that they didn't have multiple articles of clothing at home. They had the clothing that they wore. This is even common in poverty-stricken nations today, like Malawi. They have the clothing that they have, and, and when it wears out, they're not 100% sure before this out, outfit wears out that they're going to really have another set of clothing. And Jesus is reminding them, look... Life is, wor- life is about a lot more than that. Don't worry about it. When this wool shirt wears out, there will be another one. Your heavenly Father will see to it. Back to our text. And which of you, verse 27, by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, in other words, it is absolutely temporary and inconsequential, and you are an eternal being and very consequential, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Three questions that God's people just shouldn't ask themselves. This isn't in the walk-in closet with 79 pairs of shoes and, you know, all the outfits and beautifully organized. And, "Ah, I I have nothing to wear. What am I going to wear? It's not that problem. Okay? It's not that problem. You will solve that problem. You will walk out of that closet with clothes and shoes on. You just think you don't have anything to wear. This is... Lord, we don't have resources. Three questions Christians shouldn't ask themselves. What comes to my mind is ministering in Malawi or like the team in Honduras. And they were at an oasis in the middle of a poor country. When you get on the compound there, that wonderful Orphanage Emmanuel, where these orphans are beautifully cared for by God's people all around the world. You get in other parts of the cities and it's nothing but poverty. And you see people picking up scraps and other people's throwaways to try to lick the wrapper or try to chew that which has already been chewed upon because they have nothing. And our Lord is just reminding us that if you're my people, three questions you don't have to ask yourself. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? Eat and drink clothing. Verse 32. Verse 30. Uh, But if uh, we already read verse 30, oh, you have little faith Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day. Is its own trouble. So the title of our message today is When Anxiety Overwhelms. When Anxiety Overwhelms. And I would suggest that the greatest part of our audience today, including the one on the platform, have at some level worry and anxiety issues. Inappropriate worry and anxiety issues. Now you remember we qualified last week that this doesn't mean you don't have to get up and go to work. Jesus is going to feed us. He's going to clothe us. Hey, let's, let's just kick back. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. We don't throw out the rest of the word of God here. This is, though, his intimate care for his children. So anxiety overwhelms when, number one, I have not surrendered my value system to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What we want to do now is we want to compare Anxious Andy and Steady Eddie, and we want to see the world through their lenses. We want to see Christ and, and our Heavenly Father through their lenses or how they see or how they don't see Him. Now, you, I think that it goes without saying, but let me say it anyway, our task now during the listening of the message is to see which, which one of these friends we identify with. Am I Anxious Andy or am I Steady Eddie or am I somewhere in between? And we become overwhelmed with anxiety. And our points, there's four of them this morning, are in the negative. But I want us to see why is it that we become overwhelmed? What is it? With this great salvation in hand, blessed beyond measure materially as Americans, why is it that God's people here, of all places, struggle with anxiety? First of all, I want you to see that anxiety overwhelms, number one, when I have not surrendered my value system to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we did last week, I want to remind you that this this teaching, starting with verse 25, is a reaction to the laying up treasures passage that we just finished. And so in verse 24, where he says, You cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate one or love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That what Jesus is teaching here is that everything about us needs to, needs to come underneath His Lordship. That everything about us needs to be recognized through the lens that God is the owner and that we're stewards. We're not owners, we're stewards. And when I come to a place in my life where I have not surrendered my stuff and my world, even my body, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beg of you, I beseech you, I call upon you, the Apostle Paul says, that you surrender your body, that it would even be a living sacrifice and holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like the Gentiles. You're different. And so everything about us needs to come in under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in the context of this treasure teaching that we've just had a few weeks ago, where I'm to lay up treasure in heaven and not on earth and I'm I'm to uh, to on earth where thieves break in and steal and so forth that that's just going to create anxiety but then what do I do if I'm not to be driven by the things of this world then what about my food and my water and my dress and that's why Jesus then says therefore so anxious Andy is anxious because he's worried about his money And he's worried about his stuff and he's overextended himself and he can't help himself. But every morning he has to check and see what the stock market and what his investments are doing. He can't help himself and he's really distressed and he just doesn't know what to do about it. And so anxious Andy has a real problem because he's never come to a place where he has surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he said, Lord, it's all yours. Do with it what you want. Now, Steady Eddie, he's a different story. Steady Eddie, he's known for giving a lot of stuff away. And Steady Eddie's a generous giver at church, and Steady Eddie has the gift of hospitality, and, and he connects needs and resources. And it's not that he doesn't want to be a good steward, and it's not that Steady Eddie doesn't care about what the stock market does, but he doesn't lose sleep. He lays down at night, he goes to sleep. Why? Because there was a defining moment in Steady Eddie's life where he recognized that he could only serve one master. And that master was going to be God. It wasn't going to be his stuff, it wasn't going to have rule over him. And so he got through verse 24 before he got to verse 25. And he laid everything down at the foot of the cross and he said, Lord, you've given it to me. Now I'm going to give it back to you. You just help me be a steward here and you help me take care of your stuff. You help me take care of your kids. You help me raise your family. You help me grow your church. You help me reach your neighborhood. You see, when Jesus Christ is Lord, that means master. It means that he's the owner and that I'm just his servant. There is a story that I assume is true. I read it in one of my commentaries and it was told as true. It's possible that it was apocryphal, but I think it's true by the famous evangelist John Wesley. One day when John Wesley and John and Charles Wesley were preachers and songwriters, hymn writers. One day when John Wesley was away from home, someone came running to him saying, Your house is burned down. Your house is burned down. To which it is reported, Wesley said, No, it hasn't, because I don't own a house. The one I have been living in belongs to the Lord, and if it is burned down, that is one less responsibility for me to worry about. (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think I'm quite there. (sighs) But I think it illustrates steady Eddie, doesn't it? Lord is your stuff. Lord, this is your baby. And I can't take away the fever and I can't take away the issues here, Lord. But it's yours. It's been yours from the moment it was conceived. Lord, it's yours. Lord, that's my husband right there, and he's your man. And I can't train him, I can't housebreak this guy, I can't get him to do what he's supposed to do, Lord. Lord, he's yours. Lord, I just lay him down before you. Lord, that 19-year-old of mine that's away at university at the apex of idiocy, (laughs) that's that's your 19-year-old, Lord. See, it doesn't mean our hearts can't break. It doesn't mean that we don't have to fast and pray. It doesn't mean that we don't have to seek replenishing relationships and to find people who will give us perspective. But it means that my whole value system has been surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, that is a life-defining thing, and everything else changes. The second reason that anxiety overwhelms us as we continue number two is that I have never learned the secret of contentment. For some of us, anxiety overwhelms because I have never learned the secret of contentment. This is related to bringing all that I am in underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But, and I'm taking this from our text in Matthew 6 in the sense of that when you back away from the passage, isn't Matthew 6, 25 to 34 all about being content? Isn't the opposite of worry contentment? Isn't the opposite of anxiety, being at rest? That is contentment. Flip over to Philippians chapter 4, shall we, to that classic passage where the Apostle Paul talked about contentment in his life. And this is a guy who experienced all kinds of things, good and bad in his world. For the sake of the gospel, and this is Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 14, and let's just remind ourselves of these, these great verses. Philippians 4:10. and you might want to take a pen or something and stick it here, because we're going to come back to this passage. I rejoiced in, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Philippians 4:10, that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. So the Apostle Paul found out that the Philippian believers were, in a spiritual way, worried about him. Okay, They were concerned. In the sense of, uh, like I saw just this morning on my desk, I picked up the prayer sheet from Wednesday night, and I was looking at it again, and I noticed and was reminded that the office had put the Pictures of flooding in the villages of Malawi on there. And I had received a note from Love Capesi this week by email saying, please pray for us. Many of our people are in great need. And so, in a proper sense, right, we should let's use the word worry about them. We should have concern. And that's the sense that the Apostle Paul is saying. You were concerned about me and I found out about that. I had a need and the need got around to you and you were concerned about it. It really blessed my heart that I found out you cared about me. But then he kind of speaks up kind of like a strong leader and he says, and it's not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And indeed he did. He had been beaten with rods and whipped with, uh, with uh, whips with studded lead and glass and steel and stone in it. He'd been left for dead in trash heaps outside of cities. He knew, he knew all kinds of circumstances. cold and rain and wind. He said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It is that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What a great reminder, isn't it? And so as we look at this passage and we step back, One of the reasons that we recognize that we are anxious is because we are a discontent people. So let's think about Anxious Andy. Anxious Andy, yeah. You've noticed about him, aren't you? He never has enough. He's never content. When he does seem like he's content, he finds out that his buddy has a bigger flat screen, and so he's got to get a bigger flat screen. And so in his discontentment, he brings upon the roof of his house a weight and it's squishing the life out of them because he just can't learn to be content and so he makes bad decisions or he upsets all the people around him gotta have bigger, better, more, nicer move faster and so anxious Andy just becomes more anxious how about Steady Eddie? Steady Eddie sees God's hand of provision every day. Steady Eddie is so corny that he will turn the faucet on to brush his teeth and thank the Lord for running water at his sink. And take that as a gift from God. And Steady Eddie goes down to his kitchen and opens up his refrigerator and says, Lord, you have blessed my house remarkably. Not much in there that I really want to eat, but you've really blessed us. And I, you know, my wife will be happy that I'm eating carrots today. You know what it's like to be around people like that? And they have learned the secret of contentment. And they have learned that in these circumstances that are outside of their control, that that God will take over here. And that they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. Are you still there in Philippians 4? If not, just listen, look at verse 19. This is a verse that Steady Eddie knows very well, and he believes it's true. And my God, verse 419 of Philippians, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. You see, Anxious Andy doesn't really believe that verse, but Steady Eddie believes it's true, and he's willing to wait. Another reason that we're overwhelmed and worried and anxiety then overwhelms us is when I forget who I am in Christ. Number three, I forget who I am in Christ. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. You can stay in Matthew, uh, keep Mark Philippians 4 if you want because we'll reference it yet one more time. So anxiety overwhelms us. Number one, when I have not surrendered my value system to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and related to that, it continues to worry me and and, and anxiety overwhelms me when I have never learned the secret of contentment. And number three, for some of us, this becomes a very real and spiritual issue. This is a very spiritual issue because one thing you have to understand about this passage is that it's not for everyone. This is not a a blanket promise to all people everywhere. This is Jesus teaching about our Heavenly Father to His children. This is, you could say it this way, a passage of Scripture that is true for Christians. It's not necessarily true for non-Christians. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a common grace... In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says that all things were made by him and all things are for him and all things hold together by him. You know, the, the reason that you can breathe in and out and your heart keeps beating in rhythm and that all the brain waves are working right and everything's going all really well and, and that water keeps running downhill with gravity and that airplanes can fly because of the Venturi principle, all of that is true because Jesus Christ himself ordained it and holds it together. All right. And and if you don't understand that, all right, you don't understand that we have a creator God. But my point is that an unsaved pagan pilot can fly a plane or flush his toilet and it all works and his heart keeps beating. That's common grace. It's all held together by God. It's all part of his plan and they all benefit from it. But if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. You have special privilege that's what I'm talking about from this passage. I'm talking about how Jesus is addressing God's people in a specific way that you need to know that you are not just another somebody, that you are a child of God. You have a heavenly father, but what you need to understand this morning, make no mistake about it, is that all people everywhere are not God's children. They are in the sense that he's their creator, but they are not in the sense that they are born again, saved and spending eternity in heaven with him. And so one of the problems that Anxious Andy has is that Anxious Andy thinks that he's a pretty good guy and Anxious Andy thinks that if he does enough nice things, then God ought to throw a kick back to him and that his life ought to run a little smoother. But then he backed his bass boat into the neighbor's mailbox backing out of the driveway and the neighbor's mad at him and then the dog got out and bit his other neighbor on the ankle and nothing's going right. And he just went, he just put, all, he put money in the offering plate last Sunday. Well, it's got nothing to do with it. And by the way, Steady Eddie is very capable of backing his bass boat into the neighbor's mailbox and getting his neighbor mad at him too. It's not like there's magic here. It's just that the way Steady Eddie is going to view this thing is a whole lot different because Steady Eddie had a day when it became very clear to him that he was a sinner. And Steady Eddie understood one day It could have been with you as a young boy. Maybe it was when he was older. Steady Eddies have all all kinds of different testimonies. They realized one day that that as they stood before a holy God, they had nothing good to offer Him. That, That His sin was going to condemn Him to hell and that though He could be a pretty good guy, that you can't impress God with the best of your works because God is so holy and God is so pure and God is so just that He can't look the other way on any sin and so any righteousness that I can muster up and try to show in a show and tell to God one day to prove to Him that I'm a pretty good guy looks in the eyes of God like filthy rags. Because it's like I'm trying to impress God. Like, well, what about that nasty thought you had? Well, that was when I was seven years old. Yeah, when you were eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old, especially when you eighteen, nineteen, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. What about thinking, what about not only that nasty thought you had, but what about that angry thought, and you were so mad you wanted to kill that guy on the inside when he cut in front of you on the interstate? Or whatever. You see, God, when you're in front of God, and you're trying to show and tell off to God about how good of a guy you are, God's not impressed because He knows everything about you. And the weight of your sin is overwhelming. Not only that, the Bible theologically teaches us that we're born into sin and we have a sin problem innately just because we're human. Before we even do anything, we have a sin problem. And because we're sinners, we therefore sin. And so even if we're the nicest guy on the block and we try to hold up to God all the trophies of our niceness... All God sees is how rotten we are deep to the core and how much we really have sinned and how often we really have broken all of his commandments. You see, anxious Andy doesn't get that. And so anxious Andy's kind of mad at God. Anxious Andy gets mad at God a lot. He gets really mad at God whenever something doesn't go right, quite the right way, because he thinks he's a good guy and he's never really gotten to a place where he. He recognizes that he's a sinner. Steady Eddie has. Steady Eddie recognizes that he doesn't deserve anything good, and that the greatest thing that ever happened to him, and that the greatest thing you could ever say about him, is that there was a day when he came to the foot of the cross, and he bowed down his head, and he bowed down his knee, and he acknowledged his sinfulness before a holy God, all in a spiritual transaction. You can't really talk to God face to face. He has spoken through his word. But in prayer, we talk to God in a spiritual transaction, we admit our sinfulness, and we realize that God has done for us something we can't do for ourselves, and that is, is he sent his only begotten son jesus christ to live on this earth to show us that there that only god in the flesh could keep all the commandments and then he went to the cross and he took the sin of the world all of my sin everybody who ever lived before him and anybody who ever lived after him and he put his sin upon himself and he paid the penalty once and for all before a holy god so that there can be this moment in our lives where we can come to the cross and we can bow down and we can acknowledge our sinfulness and in the eyes of god only by faith through grace as this salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it or buy it. God gives us a salvation for nothing other than us just believing it to be true and accepting it to be true by faith that Jesus took my sin and I have his righteousness counted to my account. Listen, if that's you like steady Eddie, it has to change everything about your life. You are now a new creation in Christ. You are now a child of God. You now have a heavenly father and you now have special privileges like no one else. Why do we keep living like the Gentiles? Why would Steady Eddie act like anxious Andy? That doesn't make any sense. Because Steady Eddie is a new creation in Christ. Steady Eddie, according to Ephesians 1, has been seated in the heavenlies. He is a trophy of God's grace. He's going to live forever in heaven. This world now doesn't even matter to him anymore, except for his 270 deer rifle. <laughs> He's trying to hold on to that as long as he can. You understand what I mean? With an eternal perspective in Christ, what difference does it make if I have to eat? Shredded wheat for breakfast. Or if I skip a meal because there's nothing in the pantry. Let's wait and see what God does by supper time. Because I was watching a bird this week and it didn't get anything for about two hours. And then it finally got mousy mouse. You know what I'm saying? So there it is. The third reason that we become overwhelmed with anxiety is because... I forget who I am in Christ. I got off notes there a little bit. I wanted us to read Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And just write it down. Matthew 7, 7 to 11 and 1 John three sixteen through 18. Matthew 7 is just on the other page. We can take a look at that. Jesus is continuing to teaching. It won't be too long. It really won't before we get to this passage. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Matthew 7, 7, "...knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him?" The whole point I just wanted to make there is that when you become born again in Christ... You are then a joint heir with Christ. You are now positionally in the same position in the family of God that Christ is. You're an equal heir with Christ. It's one of the outstanding realities of our salvation. That when God looks at us, He sees us as a peer with Christ. Not We're not deity. But positionally, everything that is in Christ, we have. Everything that's been identified with Christ in God's eyes has been given to us as well. And so we're equal in Christ. So we have a Heavenly Father. And his whole point here is that if some of you have a little boy or a little girl and they come and ask you for something and they want a little snacky or something, you don't pick down, reach down and pick up and give them a stone. It's your delight to buy them, especially if you're a granddad. You'll, yeah, of course, we can have three of those. <laughs> no problem. Have some Mountain Dew, too. <laughs> and if you do that... How much more your Heavenly Father? Do you see what I'm saying? But this is only good for those who've been to the cross, who've accepted Christ. And then in 1 John 3.16, you can remember this because everybody knows John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16, it talks about family. My whole point is this, that when you've come to Christ and you're positioned in Christ, you now have a Father who cares for you and a family who shares with you. You have a father who cares for you and you have a family who shares with you 1 John 3:16. Finally, number 4, anxiety overwhelms when I doubt the presence and promises of God. Notice back in Matthew chapter 6, and we're pulling up truths out of this passage. Let your eyes fall down to verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and I want you to see this phrase, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. I think that's a pretty good takeaway line out of this passage. My heavenly Father knows what I need. So, well, uh, get a clue, God, I need a husband. I'm however old. The clock is ticking. Come on, God. Lord, we are three weeks past the payment on the house. We tried to make it your house. We keep worrying about it, though, like it's our house. Lord, Oh, you know what? It's your takeaway line. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. So we have to be careful redefining sometimes what we need and what we want because we create some real problems for ourselves with this messed up priority system sometimes. Let's just look at two other passages and then we'll conclude. Anxiety overwhelms, number one, when I have not surrendered my value system to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Number two, anxiety overwhelms me because I have never learned the secret of contentment Number three, anxiety overwhelms when I forget who I am in Christ. Number four, anxiety overwhelms when I doubt the presence and the promises of God. We you turn to Hebrews chapter 13? And let's make sure in this series we at least look at two other of the classic verses on anxiety and cares. Hebrews chapter 13 and... Um, Look at verses 5 and 6. The writer of the Hebrews is closing out his book here. And he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Notice contentment was mentioned in that verse. And to keep your lives free from it. That's a value system surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a person whose priorities are on seeking the kingdom of God, not building a Gentile kingdom, a kingdom of of this world, is what he's talking about there. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And then he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the presence of God. So that we can confidently say, verse 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There we have the promise of God and the presence of God in the same verses. So it's going to be embarrassing, isn't it? When we stand before God and have to explain all of our anxious meltdowns to Him. So you didn't believe me when I said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You didn't believe me? Well, I was waiting and you never showed up. I was this close and all of a sudden you went into meltdown and you need to know that your wrath does not work my righteousness. And you bailed just at the point where I wanted to see whether you really believe my promises. First Peter then. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Just turn the page to the right just a little bit, like about five or six more pages. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. These are verses you should know, especially if you're struggling with anxiety. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on Him, here's the promise, He cares for you. He cares for you. So listen, here is something you must do if you are struggling with worry and anxiety. You need to get your Bible, and if you don't know how to tackle your Bible, stop back at the counter and pick up an Our Daily Bread little devotional book. It's really a dandy. And just use that. And whatever it says to do every day, just do it. Just read it and look up the verses. But then get you a special pen, maybe green or blue or something, and you begin to identify in your Bible, and you begin to underline the promises of God. And you begin to assure yourself That these are promises that God keeps. And you have to recognize and identify the fact that when I am melting down, and when anxiety overwhelms me, that at the base, at the foundation of that problem is a real theological, spiritual issue that I, as his child, simply don't believe his promises. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying that... God's not going to allow some difficulty, but some of us, you know, we need to stop. We need to stop with the tempers. We need to stop with the alcohol. We need to stop with whatever other pleasures we're into to relieve stress. If you're a child of God, you've got the promises of God. Doesn't mean in a very practical way you might not need to exercise and. And refresh and relax or find a replenishing relationship to pray with. We all need help keeping on. But if we took the time to go back to Matthew 6, one of the things he's saying is, don't be like the Gentiles in this area. You're my children. Don't let anxiety overwhelm you. Amen? Let's pray. Father. Would you please begin to teach us in a new and fresh way how to cast our cares upon you? Would you please, Lord, show us how to lay our burdens at the foot of the cross? Father, you told us not to worry about tomorrow. It will have enough of its own worries. The point there is that we especially should not worry about the things of which we can do nothing. Would you help us to just Come in under the Lordship of Jesus Christ with our value system. Would you help us, Lord, to just live out our salvation in a new and real way, counting on your promises to be true? Would you help us to be like, oh, Steady Eddie? And would you forgive us for being Anxiety Andy? We sometimes embarrass ourselves, Lord, and we do so. Want your spirit to fill us and to strengthen us, motivate us. We'll count on you through your faithfulness. And even when we are faithless, that you'll be faithful and you'll teach us and you'll grow us as your children. In Jesus name, I pray, Lord. Amen.